Hello and welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. All right, we're back. We have a lesser known case. I'm pretty certain you haven't heard of this one. Unless you saw the special that we saw, the Dateline special on this one. But Right. I'm surprised well. this is not uh, more known. This case is insane. You got another narcissistic killer here. Oh man, this guy made top things. the charts of the all narcissists that we've ever covered. <sighs> he has He's up to. there. He has it's to. Hard to I, it, it's hard to say that. That's kind of crazy, but you know, because we've had the likes of Ted Bundy and uh-huh. and uh, creepers Rodney like Alcala. that on here. But man, this guy's ego when you hear him talk and stuff—it's just mind blowing. And he was a Las Vegas local. This is a, a, a Vegas case for you people. Was he from Vegas originally? Yeah, he was born and raised in Vegas. My, oh, okay. I told my mom about this. She's like, how did I not know about this? Seriously. And, and what's wild is the, the dude is in prison, a prison that I drive by all the time. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> he's just right there. <laughs> it's weird, right? I drive by I, now and I'm like, oh, he's right over there. It's funny. Um, when Lauren first told me that we were doing this case and that he was there, I was like, oh, you should go try to interview him. But now that I've studied him, I'm like, I wouldn't want to be in the same fucking building as this piece of shit. No. There's I don't no want it to way. be on his radar. Dude, there's no way you could you could really talk to him. No. That's the problem. I mean, even these train reporters from NBC and stuff in Dateline, when they try to get through to him and get him to confess anything or or to just move forward in the in the conversation, if it's not going the way he wants to go, it ain't gonna happen. Like he Look at how many attorneys he went through. He drove oh, each attorney nuts because he everything they did was wrong. He basically just wanted to do it himself. Yeah. Represent him, you know, he, he had this whole game plan and he's like, You're just here to be my mouthpiece, basically. It'd be right. like you know, a player on a team just telling the coach, This is what we're running, and they're like, No, this is my job. I went to school for this. I know what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah, kind of like Tom <laughs> Brady did with Bill and, Belichick, apparently. Yeah, no, I guess what he just kept firing. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know, right? It doesn't look great so far. The experiment right. of Brady without Belichick. Belichick's kind of yeah. I think that's why he went all out this offseason. But let's not go down that road. It's, right. You know, we'll see what happens this year. Yeah, yeah. Let's give Belichick another year to to figure things out. There we go, Brady. There we go. There we but go. Damn, you know that he had to have been pounding the table, and he's like, "Motherfucker, went to a new team and won a Super Bowl the first season." This is you got this. to. Oh my god, you <laughs> have just to. Like what the fuck? I mean, everybody in that organization. I mean, people who are in the Patriots organization, they already know who was the real leader. Um, I guess yeah. us as fans will never know. And Tom is too classy of a guy, I think, to to overshadow Bill Belichick in the in the uh, you know in the limelight. Yeah, but we'll see. Once he retires, he's probably gonna have a tell-all book or something. Oh, of course, of course. Did you see he went to Peyton Manning's uh, Hall of Fame induction? He said, "He said I just had to make sure he was really done." <laughs> <laughs> Tom Brady's so fucking too, competitive, right? bro. He's it's, so damn. It's crazy how many people he won over uh, this this past season. You know, like so yeah. many people hated him, and then like so many of those same people that hated him turned like the uh, they did a one eighty. They're like, you know what? You have to respect him. He went to a new team. Yep. It during uh, a pandemic where they couldn't have a real off season and took this team to the Super Bowl and won it in his first year. Like that's just because I think a lot of the haters were like, well, it's more Belichick than Brady, and it's like, well, you can't say that shit anymore. Well, <laughs> yeah, we got some heavy evidence going the other way. Yeah, that's crazy. But we're gonna get one starred because we're supposed to talk about true crime and we're just talking about football again. That's right. You know how we get in football season. That's right. <laughs> but this guy is the Tom Brady of narcissists, so it does kind of tie together anyway. No doubt, he is the goat of narcissists. He's the goat. So let's let's dive into this one. We got a local Las Vegas case, uh, the widower. Let's do it. I've put all these emotions on a shelf for forty years, and now I'm having to pull everything back down. He had a lot of extracurricular activities. Um, 
namely other women during our marriage. I wouldn't really call it a marriage per se. I think there was a lot of um, infidelity. Yes. She married Tom the day that we, our divorce was final. And she expressed feeling fear when things escalated with Tom. And I counseled her to leave any way she could. And I would help her if she wanted me to. For our case this week, we're going to do it a little differently. We're not going to give too much away. We're going to go down this journey together, how the uh, Las Vegas police discovered what they had, which was uh, yes, quite a monster here. We did study, uh, we did use a series that was done by Dateline called The Widower to study this case, um, just off the bat. That was our main study source, but also you know a mix of articles. I had, I had to go back into the annals of um, Las, local Las Vegas writings and, and no, local news reports on this guy. To get because it's like he's not a big name, so there's not a ton out there that is easy right. to find. I had to dig deeper, but which I'm glad. Um, I'm glad he's not a big name, you know. Yeah, this, sure, this right? is the type of person. Deserve. Yeah, exactly. And this is the type of person who would thrive off of this and think oh, that yeah. everything he did was worth it to be this well known. So maybe we just shouldn't do this. We should just yeah. Talk let's just let's just cancel this off and... right now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but that being said, it's important to know that there's monsters like this out there, and we're gonna we're gonna take some cheap shots at this bastard. So mm-hmm. it'll be worth it, no doubt. So uh, let's let's talk about uh, how this came to light. Fifty-one-year-old Thomas Randolph married forty-six-year-old Sharon Koss in two thousand six in Mexico. They would seal their vows again. Their vows again in Las Vegas, Las Vegas, in two thousand seven. Um, they had met online two years prior, so they had met in. Uh, I, th- I believe in 2005 on the internet and mm-hmm. lived together in a home in Las Vegas. Um, and uh, on Thursday, May 8th, 2008, they went out to dinner. Uh, it was supposed to be a, a Mother's Day thing. Um, Thomas was taking out Sharon. And so they went out to dinner. They got some, uh, I believe they got some like steak and seafood. Okay. Um, then they went to a gas station one mile from their home to buy fuel in preparation. They were going uh, to Utah uh, that Friday to visit Thomas's parents. And so okay. after dinner, after getting gas, they pulled into their driveway, stopped the car. Um, Thomas punched the garage clicker and waited for Sharon to walk in. Their garage was really tight. I, I think it had a lot of clutter in there. And so there wasn't enough room for the passenger to open their door once the car was inside. Okay, so, so he, he let her garage. out. Okay. Yeah, let her out. She walked inside while he listened to music and, and uh, uh, waited for her to be inside so he could pull in and park the yeah. car. Um, 
<clears throat> yeah, so uh, according to Thomas, when he walked inside the home, Sharon was lying face down in the hallway and bleeding. He was confused as to what was going on. He started calling her name, uh, but he realized that she'd been shot in the head. Um, she was still holding the doggy bag left with uh, leftover lobster and steak from their mm-hmm. night out. Um, Thomas then saw a shadow running down the hall. He ducked into a side room, grand- grabbed the handgun that he had in the top of his closet, a nine millimeter, uh, turned around and found himself facing a masked man who uh, appeared to be holding a gun. According to Randolph, he shot, and this would be, uh, he would do a video reenactment for police a week later. Um, yes. And he does this walkthrough and he's reenacting it. It, it, in live action, he's yelling "bam, bam, bam" as he walks through the the home, shooting at the intruder. Um, and looks in no, it looks like he's in no distress whatsoever, too. I'd like no. to add that. Because um, to there, be fair, he footage. was allegedly high on pills when he did this reenactment. Oh yeah, yeah, painkillers, right? Yeah, or something like that. And he yeah. did look like that, to be honest. Yeah. He did look like he was a little bit out of it. Yeah, so there was a loud sound. Randolph thought the man was firing at him, so he approached the garage and shot again. Bam, bam, two shots to the head, one above the eyebrow and one next to the ear while the guy was lying on the ground. So that he finished the man off in the garage, killing him. Randolph then turned around, searched for the house for more people, then dialed 911. The dispatcher told him to give Sharon chest compressions. Randolph couldn't roll her over, supposedly. He was worried about the intruder still. He went back to the garage. He's basically... like the. The he's 911 stalling. operator is imperative that he, you know, try to save his wife's life, and he's trying to do anything but that. He's more concerned about the intruder, who's he's just executed with two shots to the head in the garage, by the right. way. Right. Yeah. What he, are you going? He won't back even to go check. as far as to roll his wife over to try and give her compressions. If you can see where this is going, you know. Yeah. There's that old phrase, "the husband did it," that type of thing. As this, this very much applies to this many times <laughs> over in this case. <laughs> um, yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure you could see where this is headed at this point, right? Yeah, no doubt. It's but still, the audacity of this guy is is yeah. worth hearing the rest of this story, no doubt. It had to have been frustrating being the 911 operator, just hearing him make excuse after excuse as to why to not try and save his wife's life. Oh um, God, yeah. He oh. took the revolver from underneath the man's body. He went back to Sharon, who had something uh, thick coming out of her mouth, and flipped her over. Supposedly, he started pumping, but his back hurt. So oh, then the police poor were, guy. <laughs> imagine <laughs> imagine not giving your wife chest compressions because your back your hurt. back hurts. Get the fuck out. Oh that my is unbelievable. gosh. Like forget adrenaline or anything like that, man. Right. My back pain is too much. Wow. He needed those pain meds that he was high right. on when the cops got there. Yeah, that makes sense as to why he was so high on pills during the reenactment, I suppose. Yeah, I guess. So when the police arrive, they find Sharon, forty seven years old, dead from a single gunshot wound to the head inflicted with the intruder's gun. And the intruder, the intruder was lying dead as well from five bullet wounds, one of them in his head, delivered by Tom's nine millimeter handgun. Um, however, it doesn't take Las Vegas Metro Police Detective Dino Kelly to long to see red flags. "Quote: It was immediate for me at the crime scene," said Detective O'Kelly. Tom Randolph arouses more suspicion when he himself points out the evidence of, of a burglary to investigators. Look, well, of there's jewelry, there's gloves, there's the gun, there's a ski mask. I mean, what more, what more do you want? Says the, the that, detective. That's so him that, uh, too. Thomas told him. Always feeling like he knows better. Always feeling like he already knows the situation right. and what's look best how well for the look how well I staged this whole thing for you guys. It's right. Closed case. <laughs> what else do you want? I've already put all the pieces here. This is how crime works. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh my Look at God. this perfect uh, fingerprint I put yeah. of the intruder. <laughs> I already found it for you. I already marked it. I got tape. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. There's already cones around everything. <laughs> There's cones. The shell casings are in baggies already. I already spray painted a line around the body for you guys. Uh, no no right. big deal. So yeah. 
I went ahead and moved the body too. Uh, cremated him. Went ahead and took him to the morgue. Everything's already been taken care of. So you guys could just <laughs> coincidentally write he did that for one of his prior wives. Actually, the whole uh-huh. cremating quickly routine. Yes, he before, did. Before we the real that. investigation could be done. Hmm. I don't even know how um, that's possible, but yeah, we'll talk know, about right? that. Uh, so one of o- O'Kelly, the te- detective O'Kelly's first question is, uh, was why it took him so long to dial nine one one. More than ten minutes after a neighbor had already reported sh- uh, hearing shots fired. So one of the first things they do when they arrive on the scene is, you know, you have the the main detective working the scene, but then you also have other detectives walking around talking to, you know, trying to find wit- witnesses while it's still fresh. Right. One of the neighbors had said, you know, that they had heard the gunshots um, ten minutes before you know, uh, Thomas had called police. So the d- detective was really curious as to why it took him so long. Thomas had an excuse, as always. He says, oh, yeah. I dialed the f- I dialed 911 and the phone didn't work. I just, I remember saying, fuck, what a time for Vonage to go out, which is the Vonage. phone company. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember Vonage. Yeah. yeah, this is 2008, so. Yeah. Um, I'm sure they're still around or they've been bought up by another communication probably, company. Probably, yeah, probably a bigger company bought them. Yeah. Um, Tom then tells detectives that he found Sharon's cell phone on a table Right here, I tried dialing 911 again, and it was busy. So he's got multiple excuses for why it took him so long to call. He says he kept redialing, and that's when whoever said 911. Um, uh-huh. Suspicious, Detective O'Kelly also discovers evidence at the crime scene that tells a very different story than the one Tom reenacts on video. Tom had claimed that he had encountered the intruder inside the house and was firing at him as he fled down the hallway toward the door to the garage. Uh, the, the detective said that just doesn't add up. There was no blood in the hallway. Uh, nor were there any bullets or casings, as would be expected in the hallway from Thomas's gun. Uh, we're not missing shell cases. We're not missing any bullets, but they were all in the garage, said O'Kelly, which is where O'Kelly believes Tom really first encountered the intruder, and it doesn't appear Tom killed him in self-defense like he claims. That right. final shot was the coup de, gras, coup de gras, a shot to the head to execute him, said Detective O'Kelly. The, the plot further thickens with a shocking admission on nine, uh, Tom's 911 call. Quote, I know him. He's ripped me off. He's tried to rip me off. So he mm. did himself in right there where he admits to knowing this intruder. You know what's um, funny about this statement? It's very simple, but it just it just goes to shed a little more light on his narcissism is the fact that he's like, I know him. He's ripped me off. No, wait. He's tried to rip me off. No one can rip yeah, me right. off. You know what I mean? It's just so yeah. funny that it's like, well, did he or did he try to? Right. Because either, you know, it's just so funny. It's just such good insight into his, his psychological state. You know what I mean? Right. It's like he tried to rip me off, but I'm in control. Yeah, he's of bullshitting this, as I he goes him. with the 911 operator that he knows is being recorded, and oh, yeah. you know this, there's a lot on the line here. You just potentially killed two people. This is the type of guy that could easily pass a lie detector test, wouldn't you? But think he's that, already been he here and done this. He's already killed someone and gotten away with it in the past, which we'll learn. So I think that plays into this level of narcissism, just thinking that you can't, you know, you're untouchable. You're untouchable. We've yep. seen it before, where people continually get off for shit that should have put them away forever. And they mm-hmm. get this just arrogance about them where they feel like, well, you know, apparently I'm never going to have to pay for the things I do. Right. And, and a narcissist even further believes that. Yeah. Yeah, they almost like look at themselves as like a godly figure. Mm-hmm. So investigators learned that Tom had befriended Miller several months earlier, Miller being the intruder who was dead in the garage. Right. Quote, he takes him under his wing and starts having him around the house constantly, said Clark County uh, Chief Deputy D- District Attorney Jacqueline Bluth. They're constantly shooting guns. They're constantly out doing target practice. And investigators say Tom's wife and others had grown suspicious of what else the pair might have been getting into. Quote, they're constantly having conversations over the telephone, meetings in secret rooms where the, no one can hear what's going on. Um, everybody thought the relationship Everybody thought that the relationship was odd, including investigators. Uh, quote, 
in like a six or eight week period, we have over 303 phone calls between the two of them, said Bluth. So they've clearly up to something. He's on the phone with him. How slick does he think he is? He's, he's just in the other room with this guy who ends right. up killing his wife and he ends up killing in the garage. He just thinks people aren't, aren't smart. That's it. He just yep. thinks everyone yep. else is an idiot. Like, I don't know yep. how else to describe it because there's That's no all other, it is. Yeah, he's just ignorant to the fact that other people are intelligent and watching right. him. He just thinks yep. he has his eyes on the whole situation and he knows yep. everything that's going on all the time. Yeah, so almost immediately, police suspect Tom have, had hired Miller to murder Sharon and make it look like a burglary and then killed his hitman to silence him, which is actually a pretty clever plot there. You know, get rid of the guy you hired. Oh, make absolutely. it look like a home intrude, uh, you know, home break in. Yeah. The only thing is, you can't have any connection to that person. Like, you can't have 303 phone calls on your phone <laughs> records. Like, bro, you got to like meet him at a gas station, find some right. sketchy dude that you saw out in public, throw right. him some cash, and be like, this is my address, go in and kill my wife. Like, you cannot have anything tying you to this person. And he had so much tying him. He even admitted to knowing him over the fucking phone with the 911 operator. I mean, he had him at his house. I mean, they were downright yeah. friends, they were shooting buddies. It, Sharon, all of Sharon's friends and family members knew about this weird relationship he had with this guy that ended right. up killing her, you know? Yeah, you got to know that shit. But again, he thinks everyone's an idiot, and he's the only yeah. intelligent person in the world, apparently. Yeah, so uh, investigators ask Thomas, quote, why do you think he broke into your house? Uh, he says, quote, because he was leaving the next day. Uh, Tom admits <laughs> to, to, to detectives that he'd given Miller $150 just before the Sharon was shot dead. Quote, maybe even more than that over a couple of days. It had got to be where he'd come over and borrow 20 bucks to do a bit of work. Tom insists the money was just another one of uh, many loans that he had made to Miller. Quote, so I says, you know, you better not end up at that casino tonight because tomorrow if you come to my house early in the morning or tonight, I'm just not answering the phone. I'm not answering the door. You ain't getting another penny from me. So he's trying to build this case as though, you know, oh, he of course. Uh, this this guy had burned the bridge. He'd given him too much money. Now he's telling him you can't have any more. So the guy takes matters into his own hands and breaks tries in. Tries to rob them. Yeah. And then they show up rob during, them and they show okay. up during it. Yep. Yeah. But sure. of course, investigators make an astounding discovery that Tom stands to make $360,000 out of his wife's death. Uh -oh. Quote, he had, <laughs> he had several life insurance policies out on her. I think we're able to uncover four in total, said Bluth. Uh, and this was a common theme throughout Thomas's life, but now detectives uh, think they've found a motive for Tom wanting to, uh, Sharon dead, but it doesn't stop there. Detectives dig a little deeper, and they discover something truly chilling. Sharon is not the first Miss Randolph, or anything even close to that, to have met a tragic end. <laughs> Quote, he's been married six times. Four of his wives are dead. You know, uh -oh. this isn't a coincidence, said Detective O'Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't appear to be. Wow. I can't believe he got to number six. They must have just been like, how the fuck is this guy walking around? Like, how is this a free man? He's had, this is his sixth wife and the fourth to have died under suspicious circumstances. Mm -hmm. And they mm -hmm. also discover that Tom Randolph had taken out large insurance policies on all of them. Mm. So let's get into a little bit of this man's background now that we, we know what we're dealing with here. He was 66 years old and born, in, born and raised in Las Vegas, Nevada. I couldn't find his birth date. doesn't really matter. Um, but what we do know is that he'd been married a total of six times out of those six, only two are alive today. Wife number one and wife number three, Catherine and Gaina. Um, now, you know what so though, real quick, like yeah. if we, if I learned any about anyone's childhood, it would be about this guy. I would love to know how, how he was raised. How spoiled though, he was. You? He strikes me as a spoiled type, right? He like a only to. child spoiled well, now you heard his mother on the stand, right? You saw that footage of his mother on the stand a little bit. Yep. She wasn't on there long. 
Um, but I seen a lot of narcissistic tendencies in her, didn't you? Yeah. Where she was yeah. like, oh, look at me. I'm the mother coming here to support my son, how much I love my son. That's why yeah, I'm Yeah, make here. it about you, bitch. Yeah, it's like, wait a second. We don't care what, what, why you're here. We, we just want to hear about Thomas. <laughs> like, right. what the fuck? But it just, it was interesting that that's how she started. She's already trying to gain sympathy, already trying to gain people on her side and prove what an amazing person and a mother she is because she already feels like the the seesaw is tilted the other way because her son's being convicted for murder or, or being tried for murder. I feel right? like narcissism can largely be tra- it can be taught to a young child, you know? Like it I think it largely by, a, is by observation, taught. not so much directly taught, but just observing if you if a child has a parent who's extremely narcissistic, it just mm-hmm. seems to really rub off on them. Just being around them and seeing how they interact with other people, learning these ways of the force, you know. Ah, yes. Yes, I do. And I think that and I think some people, especially children, maybe they envy that confidence in their in that parent, you know, in yeah. that guardian, in that they grandmother. Learn how to manipulate. Or yeah. Yes, they do. Subtly. Yeah. But yeah. So let's 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 go through his many wives here. Thomas oh, married wife number one, Catherine Thomas, in nineteen seventy five when she was eighteen. They had two children together. He said that their marriage wasn't good and that it was his fault. Quote uh, I'd been doing too much drugs and too too many other women. He was never a loyal uh, lover or husband, if you can believe that. Um, yeah, he loved to brag about that, though, didn't he? Yeah. Jesus. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. He loved to brag about how many women he'd been with and, and brag about how much he loved women and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. Yeah. Catherine would later take the stand against him and say that he was controlling, psychologically abusive, and manipulative. Um, and luckily, she made it out of that marriage alive. Yeah. Yeah, thank God. But I think this was or this was his first wife. I think he now, was still figuring things out at this point. Exactly. Exactly. Now, do you think that also maybe he kept her alive because he had two children with her and wanted nothing to do with them? And somewhere in there was like, these are pieces of me. I want them to be raised and I want them to live. So I'm going to let her raise them. You know, yeah, perhaps. I deal. mean, if he kills her, then maybe he ends up it, having to be a father. Which precisely. Is not cool Pre- for a rambling man that's going around. No, he's uh, way too selfish for that. He's way too yes, selfish for fatherhood. Precisely. Yeah, there's yeah. no way he could do that. It's really so, a shame this man ever procreated. Yes, yes, it is. It really is a shame because his kids are still brainwashed into thinking that he's like a great person. At least that's yeah. what I understood from them being on the stand. Um, that's but wild. They haven't been with him in so long, though. I mean, they're they're well into adulthood now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Obviously, they don't want someone like that to be on their permanent record. You know what I'm saying? So they're obviously. Well, it doesn't say hurt that things. he now looks like a grandmother. <laughs> yeah, he looks. He looks like an uh, like an older, like out of shape Martha Stewart. <laughs> doesn't he? You have to see this guy uh, currently. He, he literally he's, he's morphing into like. Someone that should make you cookies, you know, this is an old lady. <laughs> it's weird. I don't and know if like, it's, it's calculated, if he's like, you know, if if, if a, a large man is taking him under his wing in prison or what's uh-huh. going on. That's what but, it looks uh, like to me. That's what it looks like to me because, look, he won't acknowledge it because there was one interview that he had in prison where his hair was super long. I mean, it was the most feminine he had looked, for sure. His, his face was clean shaven, right? And he had his hair in yeah. pigtails, literally pigtails. <laughs> and, and, the, and the reporter's like... He's like, oh, I see you've grown your hair out a little bit uh, since last time. And he was like, no, it was this long last time. It was just up. And they immediately went back to a clip of last time, and it was just cut super short. It, <laughs> it was cut super short. Like, I don't know. I can't think of someone who I could give you an example, but it wasn't even to his shoulders. Yeah. And that's just how, like, how in denial he is. It's like, if he is getting taken advantage 
of by someone in prison, which it definitely looks like he is, he would never say that. That's oh, never no, no. coming up in the interview. You can. He would probably say that he's he's winning that that race as far as like he's the manipulator of them and right, yeah, right. They don't. They just don't see the big the big bigger picture, the big game that he's playing. You know. Ah, he's yes. winning the war. They're winning the battle. That's right. That's right. He's got him under control. Can't get one got, over on old Thomas. I got him right where I want him. <laughs> That's why That's I grew right. these pigtails. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't get yeah. over the pigtails. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he, Thomas would marry wife number two, Becky Galt, in 1983. In 1986, he would report her death to the police as a suicide. Uh, five months after her death, he was arrested and put on trial for her death. Quote, Becky was perfect. She was whatever I wanted her to be. I could call her up in the middle of the day and tell her I wanted steak for dinner and for her to be dressed up like a clown. And he would go on to say that if, if he called her in the middle of the day and, and with those requests that she wouldn't even say, like, you know, ask why. She would just ask what kind of clown outfit do you want? How do you want your steak cooked? That type of thing. Uh-huh. Basically, he, he wanted essentially like a slave at the house and he right. was bragging about this. But then he would go on to say, she didn't deserve me cheating on her, which he loved to brag about, how he cheated on everybody. Yes, he did. Um, he said that uh, because of his treatment of her, that she would become suicidal because he was cheating on her with other women. She was extremely jealous and whatnot. And she would constantly call him and threaten to kill herself. And at, which, at a certain point, he said he grew sick of and told her to go ahead and do it. He would egg her on to kill herself. He would tell her, quote, there's some rope in the basement. Why don't you just hang yourself? Jesus. And... You know, supposedly she would go on to uh, actually go through with killing herself uh, by by means of you know sui- uh, using a, a handgun to shoot herself in the head. Mm-hmm. Um, supposedly he shows up and Becky has shot herself in bed and laying under the covers, uh, perfectly covered up with one bullet to the head. "Quote: Thomas had four life insurance policies on her that were they were able to find totaling over half a million dollars." Wow. Wow. And so, yeah, so he would get away with this for a little while. It was initially ruled a suicide, but almost two years later, another prospective hitman, Eric Tarantino, came forward alleging that Tom had approached him to kill his second wife, Becky, telling mm-hmm. cops that he even discussed ways that could be done. Quote, car accident, putting a cloth of cyanide over her face and having her pass out, slamming her head against a full bathtub, making it look like she slipped and fell and drowned. I mean, you name it, he said to detectives. Um, he would be, uh, then after this, you know, uh, prospective hitman would, who had turned him down and fled because he was kind of scared of this guy at that point. Right. This Eric Tino, a Tarantino would come forward. Um, Thomas would then be taken into custody and charged with Becky's murder. They now had enough circumstantial evidence to take him to trial while he was awaiting trial. Um, a jailhouse sting busts, uh, bust him trying to put a hit on Eric Tarantino, the man he had tried to hire to kill his second wife. Prosecutors say it was in a vain attempt to prevent Tarantino from testifying. Tarantino would nonetheless testify and told the judge everything. The coroner testified that Becky died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound and had ruled the cause of death a suicide, unfortunately, and the jury also wasn't allowed to hear about the foiled hit on Tarantino, um, and they would end up acquitting him, and he would collect his $500,000 life. So he went to trial and was acquitted. And see, large in part because they weren't able to prevent, you know, show what kind of guy he was and that he had tr- hired this guy to try and yes. kill his wife and whatnot. That, that's his main gag, man, is, is getting evidence espunged or like not usable in court. That was his yeah. deal. Holding you know? a, he, he, he was as good as we've ever seen when it comes to working the, the, uh, the justice the, system. The, the justice system, yes. yes. Like postponing trials, just making it a nightmare on everyone in in the justice system. Oh yeah. yeah, like trying to get uh evidence not allowed in court to for the jury to see. 
um, firing and rehiring different uh, attorneys just to drag out the process. He hired um, and fired three sets. It, it totaled yeah. like 10 attorneys. Yeah. I remember well, that was time, in his last trial with, with, yeah. uh, with the murder of his wife and the, the hitman that he'd hired. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, That's so insane. He, uh, Detective O'Kelly said, uh, recalling on this this first trial that he underwent, quote, they were going after the death penalty or nothing, and the jury said, we don't have enough to go with death. So that was definitely their biggest mistake. The prosecution went after the death penalty they on that one. They should not have done that. They should have done no. death or life, right? They shouldn't yeah. have. Mm, they shouldn't have took life off the table. But that was probably um, a play on the defense's part. That was probably smart. I mean, well, obviously it was smart, but yeah, I'm guessing that, that was the defense's... Uh, idea because most people probably thought the prosecution probably thought they had him dead in the water with all this eric tarantino stuff having sure. him as a witness and then he tried to kill tarantino like they thought he had him dead in the water i don't know so how thought, that i don't know how they made it to where that wasn't allowed in the trial like that seems like that baffles me bro yeah yeah that really they, they would me. ultimately uh they would ultimately uh bring him up on charges for you know trying to hire this man eric tarantino and he would plead guilty to a lesser charge of tampering with a witness quote, and he goes to prison for a short period of time, said Bluth, but that was that. Um, and mm -hmm. on he would go to his next wife. He would marry wife number three, Leona Stapleton, in 1994. She uh, was one of the wives that is no longer with us, but she, it doesn't sound like he had anything to do with her death unless he was slowly poisoning her or something. She would die of cancer 10 years after divorcing Thomas. So sounds like she got out away from him quickly enough to where he didn't have time to kill her. He probably exposed her to some kind of radiation a little at a time, and it just didn't take until 10 years later. I wouldn't put it past him. I wouldn't honest. put it past him at all. Put yeah. like a microwave underneath her side of the bed or some shit. Just let it run. <laughs> I heard that's a, I heard that's <laughs> a wives' tale, Michael, with the microwave thing. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm just trying to make. But that's kind of funny yeah. uh, image you're painting there. Yeah, I know, right? My mom put a funny, microwave under her pillow. True story, though. Like my my uh, my mom used just to like cooking my cooking. My mom chicken would not let me night. stand. My mom would not let me stand in front of the microwave as a kid. She wouldn't. Oh no, I know that was that was that would that yeah. uh. That whole thing was rampant in the 90s, dude. Everybody thought if you stood too close to the microwave, you were going to die. Now, to be You're fair, a brain those, tumor or something. those big old fucking industrial microwaves of the 90s may have Probably. been killing us, bro. Those things were insane. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like the old the 90s microwaves probably were definitely, yeah. like your house was just glowing when that thing was on. Yeah, you, <laughs> you just put something in there for the like five seconds. The lights would all pumping. go dim when it was on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was using so much power. <laughs> Seriously, man, those things were no joke. If like three people on your block use the microwave at the same time, the power would go out. <laughs> power go out? Y'all got power? No, I'm trying to heat up this hot pocket. Yeah, right. <laughs> I told you you have to alternate. You got to let me know when you're using your. <laughs> you got to let me know. <laughs> we can't. <laughs> we got to take our scheduled lunch times, Randy. All right. Damn. Yeah. <clears throat> so Thomas, uh, his third wife, Leona, would die of cancer, as we mentioned, uh, 10 years after divorcing him. Uh, but meanwhile, a year after he had married Leona, she had left him quite quickly, apparently, because a year later in 1995, he married his fourth wife, Gaina Allman. Allman would uh, survive their relationship and testify against Thomas in her first trial. However, she did have a story of where she believed he had tried to kill her. She, uh -huh. she claimed on the stand that there was a moment in their marriage where Randolph was uh, sitting at the kitchen table cleaning his gun. She was standing, I believe, by the bar near the kitchen, and coincidentally, the gun went off while he was cleaning it and nearly... Uh, hit her, bro. Um, I would believe that's a great she, idea for him. Like that's right. something he would definitely try to do. He would definitely try that. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, no <clears throat> doubt. You know my my dad's cousin was killed like that. 
he was cleaning guns with his father, which you know was my dad's uncle. Gun went off, shot him right there in the bottom of the chin. It right happens, the, dude. Right in the it freaking happens. kitchen. There's a, I believe there's a hole in the roof of a family home where someone was cleaning the gun in the house and it went off and went through the second story. That's terrifying. Bro. My grandfather, I believe, was cleaning a shotgun in the entryway to his home and it went off. Um, oh my God. Yeah, it happens. A shotgun? Definitely be careful. Even though you think there's nothing in the chamber, be extremely careful whenever handling a weapon, period. Seriously. Like he was, yeah. He was being. Never, that's why the barrel, the rule, the you know, the general shot. rules with gun safety are never point the barrel at anything, in, in anything living, and uh, d- trigger control as well. Ne- never have your finger on the trigger until you are no. absolutely ready to fire. Yes, God, and it seems so simple. It seems so basic, but when you're not around guns and you're not used to that type of thing, it's not second nature. It's not. Right. It's something that really has to be trained. Like you have to, you have to be. That has to be in the forefront of your mind all the time. When you're around, guns. actually, I just remembered another time where something where I was actually present. We were having a, a we had a, like a little party at my grandma's house one time. Me and uh, we were all in our like early twenties. Me and my cousin and a couple of friends. And yeah. my cousin, uh, we, we'd been drinking, and he brings never bring out a gun when people are drinking. First of no. all, but he brings out his deer rifle to show it to us while we, we're all sitting around drinking. And we're like, oh, that, that's cool, that's cool. And he swears there's nothing in the chamber. He goes to lean it against the wall, and the thing goes off right through the house right next to my buddy's head, who was a war veteran and who was already kind of had like, he was shaky. He'd seen combat and stuff. And oh my God. It fucking freaked him out. I bet. But you know how loud a deer rifle going off inside of a small living room is? Oh you you could actually see the gun, the cloud of gunpowder. Yeah. Do you remember was, like what caliber it was? Is it like a- I want to say it was 30, a 243. Oh, okay. So. Yeah. So it made some noise. Oh yeah. Be very careful with guns, people. Hell yeah. Um, Thomas, nonetheless, it sounds though he was in, he was a little disappointed that it didn't strike his uh, then wife, his number three wife. I know his bet. fourth wife. My bad. I, it's hard to even keep track of this. Point. I know, right? Who were who, what number are we on? Yeah, number yeah. So four, now five. we're moving on to number five. Thomas married uh, his fifth wife, Frances Randolph, in 1997. Frances had successfully successful heart surgery and was recovering at the hospital when Thomas went in to visit her uh, alone in the room. Uh-huh. following her successful heart surgery. I think you know where this is going. Yes. A I short do. time later, he would come out of her room and told her daughter that Francis had just died. Thomas immediately had Francis cremated and sent her ashes to her relatives in empty pill bottles. This just this just blows me away. I can't believe this is not like a whole chapter in this story, Lauren. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> how is this not how do how how is this all the information we have on this? There was no trial. There was no questions. It was just, I mean, how do you how do you take someone from a hospital, and then get them to the crematorium, and then put their ashes in pill bottles, and then how does that happen so fast without an investigation, without questions, without? I mean, she just right. had successful heart surgery. How did how did she die? What was the cause of death? Because I, I, I you, bet you it's think, like I think I'm thinking pill, it, I'm thinking yeah I'm thinking he he literally put a pillow over her face would be yeah. my guess. Asphyxiation has got to be it. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. And if she died of asphyxiation after heart surgery, that don't sound right. There would right. have been evidence, right, in her autopsy. You would think right. she would have had to have an autopsy, but apparently this was just looked at as a complication following her heart surgery. And I'm sure Thomas played it up big time, was probably acting distraught and saying, you know, she just stopped breathing when I was sitting there, that type of thing. Yeah. Is, isn't this... Um, Francis Randolph didn't her wasn't her daughter there? Yeah, her daughter was there, right? This is the time where he went out and he like dropped to his knees and he was crying and he told her her daughter that that she had died 
mm-hmm. her daughter was like, this just all seems weird to me. Like, yeah. what is he doing? Yeah, and had the records in Utah not been sealed as to, you know, his very uh, sketchy trial that, you know, where his wife had supposedly killed herself, shot herself, and, yeah. uh, you know, he was facing the death penalty before being acquitted. This is all sealed shit in Utah that obviously Francis's daughter had no idea that he had, you know, had so many wives and, you know, they've been dying in suspicious circumstances in the past. Right. Yeah, she couldn't have known. And I'm sure, no. <laughs> yeah, he's not going around and, you know, giving everyone a resume when he meets a new right. wife. So, yeah. Crazy, man. And this would lead us to Thomas's number six wife, Sharon Koss, who we covered in the beginning. In 2007, he married his sixth and final wife, and we know how that one ended. So after uncovering the deadly history of his first five marriages, investigators realized they weren't dealing with your average everyday killer. Quote, I think he's a monster, said Bluth. There's no doubt in my mind he's a serial killer. Um, mm-hmm. the intruder that we, that he had killed in his home who had first killed his wife, uh, was that friend of, of Thomas's prosecutors say that he hired intruder Michael Miller to kill Sharon. And then, uh, he killed the hitman. somewhere in their conversations. Detectives say that Randolph persuaded Miller to shoot Dar- Aaron during the ro- the staged burglary. Then when his wife was dead, changed the script, killing his only witness. Uh, so he would go on to, you know, get arrested. He would get arrested for this and face a murder charge of, um, his hitman and also his his uh, sixth wife, and right. he would go after. Of course, being a narcissist, he would go after a big name attorney. He would go after Gabe Grasso, uh, who was uh, an attorney in Las Vegas who had been on OJ's defense team. This would be his yeah. first attorney, who he would drive crazy, um, just basically <laughs> saying that everything he was doing in their pretrial hearings and everything was wrong. I want you right. to say it this way. I want you to get up there and tell this the, the jury this and that. And the guy's like, dude, I've done a lot of these. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> a lot. A lot. I, I Literally was on OJ's OJ defense Simpson. team. If Do you, you realize that? Why'd you hire me if you don't trust my judgment? Bro, he wasn't just on the defense team. He was the lead lawyer on his defense, <laughs> on his his uh, Las Vegas trial of the robbery. He was the lead lawyer on that case. Like, he wasn't Wild. just somebody. Right. Yeah, but Tom thinks he knows better. It's just the dude blows me away with his confidence. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. So, uh, Gabe Grasso would, would go his, his own way not long after being hired by... Thomas, and he would bring in next Brent Bryson, the second defense attorney, who was seemed like he was he was better suited uh, for Tom. He cut was from the tougher. same cloth as Thomas in a way, or a weird way. This guy sketched me out a little bit. Um, Brent Bryson in the spring of two thousand nine agreed to represent Thomas, and he told stories in the Dateline uh, series called uh, "The Widower." He he told a story about how he, the reason he became a defense attorney is because he had faced. Uh, a murder trial before or you know a trial for manslaughter after being in a bar fight in which a guy was attempting to hit him in the head with a glass uh, beer bottle and he happened to have a wine glass bottle that that shattered and somehow the guy's uh carotid artery got severed and the guy mm-hmm. bled out in this bar fight doesn't that like, seem so sketch to you it does like, seem pretty sketch your defense like, attorney literally murdered a dude in a bar fight i know he I got acquitted like, but like damn yeah, I feel like he probably broke. But he that just shoved that wine, wine glass right in the dude's jugular, or what? That's what he did. That's what he fucking did, bro. Come on, that's wild, dude. Yeah, he he didn't realize it. He saw that shit in a movie, and he was drunk, and he was probably angry. He busted the glass on the table and shoved it right in his carotid artery. Snapped the dude's I, elbow over his shoulder like Steven Seagal, and then right. shoved the broken wine glass right into his neck. I mean, but now, now on the other hand, uh, Brent Bryson looks like he has a lot of remorse for this, and is still dealing with this. Yes, yes. Now, whether he did he turned it on a negative purpose into a positive or in self-defense, sure. 
Yes, or whatever he did it in. If he did it out of anger, whatever, I don't feel like this man deserves jail time because, I mean, he was attacked, first off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then... In a bar fight, things happen, for sure. Right, right. And he also, he seems, like I said, he seems to be showing genuine remorse. Like, even in the documentary, he seemed like he was tearing up and it was hard for him to talk about. And this is like a, this is like what you would call a man's man, Brent Bryson, right? He's like a tough, probably from the Northeast. He's a tough guy, you know, probably smokes. A he cigar. killed a man in a bar fight, Michael. We we, I mean, we get it. <laughs> yeah, you get it. You get it. But he's not really that person now. You know what no. I'm saying? He's not really that person now. You could tell people that usually that was... soften as they get older and they regret things they did when they were young men. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So, but this is a big thing. <laughs> yeah, this man, even all he's deal. been through, uh, wanting to defend people who have been, uh, maybe the, the justice system has come after, wanting to right. wanting to help them. Uh, even even this guy couldn't couldn't stand working for Thomas. Thomas uh, drove him nuts as well, and Thomas would would ultimately fire Brent Bryson. I think he was relieved uh, to be relieved of his duties. And oh, for sure. Thomas would go on to hire several other attorneys while successfully dragging out his trial date. It seemed to be his prime motive to hiring these different attorneys, working with them for a little while, um, saying that they're idiots and they don't know what they're doing, and then ultimately firing them. And just dragging out this process, which would make it last, take nine years before he would eventually go to trial, just successfully dragging this shit out. That is insane. I mean, he was in prison for the nine years, though. It's not like he was out free. Right, of course. I, I think he just, he knew he wasn't going to get away with it. So I think he was just stalling and stalling and stalling until he found just the right person or everything fit to where he thought he was going to get off. But also, I think he knew he was going to be facing the death penalty yet again. And maybe he wouldn't get as lucky this time. True, true, true. And he lived, <laughs> and to be fair, he stalled for nearly a decade. So something needs to be said. And when you think and also, about I think he likes the dog old. and pony show of it. He likes the attention. You know, he's very oh, uh, yeah. Ted Bundy-esque in that way. He's a narcissist. So he likes, and, he, he was having news reporters come in and, and, and uh, yes. uh, question him and, and he was on you know he was making all kinds of headlines and stuff exactly and we've talked about this before you know a lot of these killers when when they talk to someone they get to come out of the jail right they get to come out of gym yep. pop for a little while maybe they get a snack maybe they get some coffee Who he gets knows? to have all you these know, meetings one-on-one with his yeah. attorneys you yes. know and they're there he, he gets to act like he's a lawyer he's a part of the defense his own defense team is what the, yes. <laughs> the lawyers were saying they're like when we sat down together it was like he was it almost like it was he he was the lead defense attorney in our case here. <laughs> right. He yeah, he wasn't following their lead or waiting to hear their no. opinions. He was telling them he, how it was going to go down. <laughs> exactly. And they're like, uh, I don't think you understand how this works, son. Right, right. Where's your law degree? <laughs> yeah. So finally, as we mentioned, after 9 years, he would finally go to trial in 2017. During the court hearings, his two surviving wives would text, uh, testify against him, re- recounting harrowing details about his abuse and manipulation. Colleen Byer, Sharon Koss's daughter, his latest sixth wife who he had murdered, reveals how her mother's widower, Thomas Randolph, reacted to Sharon's latest will and testament. So little did Thomas know, shortly before her death, she had changed her will and Thank had God. her best friend uh, oversee the will as she got it notarized. Uh, as Colleen recalls in The Widower, Thomas believed, quote, he was in control of everything, thanks to one will in his possession. However, in the days following Sharon's death, Colleen says she received another will. I'm guessing that in the days prior to Sharon's death is what she means. Uh, right. She had received another will from her mother's best friend, Alice Wolf. 
Sharon's confident uh, details in a, conf- in, con- in a confessional quote. She writes it out. I'm watching her do it. And we go to the notary to have it notarized. And she gives it to me. And she says, if anything happens to me, Alice, she says, please give this to Colleen. She had left it at the house. Oh, so this was in the days following uh, Sharon's yeah. death. Yes. She had received this will that she didn't know existed. Um, after the will in her possession was ruled as valid, uh, Colleen recalls Thomas getting really upset. She adds, then I started getting really nasty phone messages. Per the new footage, Thomas left the following voicemail, quote, you know, it's really weird. We sat there and we talked about the house. I could see it in your eyes. You was lying through your teeth. No wonder your mother didn't like you. He's such a bitch. Motherfucker. He's such a bitch. Dude, dude, you know what f- creeped me the hell out? And I don't know how you how you don't see this as a massive red flag. If you you marry a man, right? And within the first year, he he takes insurance policies out on you. And also, he's having you do a video will. He had her. He recorded her doing her will. Her will in it like VHS form or whatever. Yep. Like she she's talking like to the video, video camera and saying that all this stuff's going to him. It was very chilling to see that. No doubt. And that wasn't a red flag. I think she right? just felt helpless. Come on, man. I think she just felt helpless at that time. Yeah, you know, I mean, she obviously, she, she goes and gets this secret will she, done with her best friend. I was about to say, yeah. Gives everything she, to her daughter. Thankfully, she got that done in time. She, was, she knew. I think she knew what yes. was coming. Absolutely. She was going along with Thomas's dog and pony show, but mm-hmm. at the same time, she was like, I'm going to protect myself and my assets and my family because yep. I, I can't do nothing you know, in the spotlight about this, or he could kill me. You know, (laughs) even though that didn't help. Right. What's up, creepers? Let me tell you about today's sponsor, Noom. Making the world a healthier place. It's like having a trainer, a nutritionist, and a health coach with you at all times. Noom is unlike anything you've tried. They use a psychology-based approach. Instead of strict rules, they empower you with the knowledge to build smarter, more sustainable habits. Noom helps to reshape your relationship with eating, often asking you not just what you're eating, but why you're eating it. Everybody's journey is different, so Noom customizes a program for you based on your personal goals. I've been using the app for a few weeks now, and I noticed a big change in my behavior. Every day, just checking in with my Noom professional and having my my goals set that I look at every day. That's a big part of life, just having goals set and written down that you look at. And uh, you, you know, you track your weight on there, you track your diet, you think about why you're doing the things you're doing, and it starts to change your behaviors. It's nourishing instead of restrictive. Uh, one beautiful thing about Noom is that no food is totally off limits. I can't stand the idea uh, of diets that say you'll never eat said thing again, um, something that you love. You know, Noom uh, allows you to still continue to eat the things you love um, while learning to maintain a healthier balance with these things. Also, an off day here or there is okay and won't set you off course. Noom will gently get you back on track. The app only asks for about 10 minutes of your day to teach you about your eating habits and check in on your progress. Noom's entire platform is built upon two things, research and wanting to help people lead healthier lives through behavioral change. Their team of behavioral health experts have PhDs and master's degrees in fields including psychology, integrative medicine, and neuroscience. But even though they're all about evidence-based science, they're also passionate about creating a more empathetic approach to creating a healthier life. So sign up today for your trial and get psychology-based support and motivation to reach your goals at noom.com creeper. Once again, Sign up for your trial at noom.com slash creeper. It's never too late to get started toward a healthier life. So during the trial for Sharon Koss, a psychiatrist talked about him living off his dead wife's life insurance policies, calling him a narcissist but not a sociopath. 
While speaking to the jurors, Dr. Norton Reutemann said, quote, a person with narcissistic traits is at the center of the world. They can be disloyal because they seek adoration, adulation. And in marriages, sometimes when he doesn't get what he wants from that person, he goes and gets it from somebody else. He further added that he, quote, wouldn't doubt Thomas being unfaithful. And with all this, the jury found Thomas guilty of the charges and sentenced him to death. So as I mentioned, maybe he was postponing this thing for so long as he knew he might, he wouldn't be as lucky as he was all those right. years ago in Utah. And they told him that while he was wearing a Tony Romo jersey. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, Don't that, forget about that. Leave that part <laughs> out. To bring it back around to football. Dallas <laughs> oh, Cowboys, no, baby. Dallas Cowboys to make America's people hate team. him even more. Probably know, the most, right? the most <laughs> loved be, and the most hated team What a way to be hated more. <laughs> Just be a Cowboys fan on top of a, a guy right? that married six wives and murdered four of them, or three of them, <laughs> allegedly. Right, if it couldn't get any worse. Nothing against Tony Romo. It's just... Who, who oh, I love Tony Romo. I think shit. he's one of the best uh, color commentators that working in uh, football right now. I mean, he's, oh, he's no the man. doubt. I learned more about football on Tony Romo games. Yeah. That's what I love about it. Yeah. And all those Cowboys fans out there, we don't hate you, man. It's just it's so easy to to shit on that team because no, it's just it's America's yeah. team, quote unquote, and like they're always so mediocre. Yeah, <laughs> so, many people, like, so many the people. So many. The amount of coverage no they reason. get for such a mediocre team, it's just it, it starts to annoy everyone. They're on every Sunday night game. They're fucking playing in Dallas Cowboys Stadium. It's just like enough. It's money, until they man. have a good team. Let's just chill out a little bit. <laughs> they this look all right year, this year. Right? They look all right. I got to give them yeah. that. They got a lot of talent. I was about to say they got some experience too. A lot of their good talent has kind of settled down a little bit, and I think they're I think they're still in their prime with Dak and Zeke. Like it's also old ass creepy Jerry Jones is just absolute thirst to want to win another Super Bowl. Like he oh, he would yeah. do anything. Like he would like sacrifice young babies to win another Super Bowl. I guarantee you. <laughs> the babies he's doping allegedly the blood off of. Don't sue me, bro. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Allegedly. <clears throat> <laughs> In my opinion. Right. Right. My humble, uninformed opinion. <laughs> right. Um, so if, if you want to, if you, if you can't tell this guy was a piece of shit to begin with, uh, it, mm -hmm. it's worth noting that there were no family members or friends, uh, uh of Randolph at the death sentence decision uh, as it was read out in court. So there was no one, no one supporting him in the court. Um, chief deputy district attorney, Jacqueline Bluth would say, quote, if we would have not convicted him, he would be on wife number seven or eight by now. Yep. No shit. Yep. No doubt. Um, That's what he lived to do. Thomas maintained his innocence and appealed his conviction. And amazingly, get ready to get pissed off. The Nevada I'm Supreme Court overturned his conviction in December 2020. God the damn Supreme it. <laughs> They did kind of fuck up, man. Like, so what happened was the the the, the suicide, quote unquote, uh, that he had gone to trial for so many years ago with his, what was his second wife? I can't even keep track. Um, yes. That he had gotten acquitted on because they went after the death penalty, that mm -hmm. those records had, had been sealed when he got acquitted for that. And there was, uh, early on in this trial for Sharon's but, murder, yeah. um, they had, there was a whole kind of battle going back and forth with the judge. And like the, the judge had to decide whether the, you know, the, the death of his second wife would be permitted in court or not. Yes. Um, and, and they, she just, the judge decided in favor of allowing that case to be shown to jurors where his, you know, the suspicious death of his wife in Utah and right. that that's what surprised me that it got was unconstitutional apparently because the records were sealed. But that wasn't told to the judge upon the initial decision. Like, how, how would a judge not know that? You know, that's, that I think it was a, an objective decision by the judge and, the judge probably knew she was taking a risk when she went ahead and, and uh, said, 
you know, a risk that this could ultimately be overturned by the Supreme okay. Court, and it, okay. it did ultimately. The Supreme Court ruled that the jury should not have been told about Thomas being charged with his second wife's death sentence, uh, or death, uh, his second wife's death since he was kind acquitted and the case though. was sealed. Mm. What was that? So it's kind of important, though. Yeah, for real. The Supreme Court stated, quote, we cannot look into the prior bad act evidence to conclude that the error in admitting the evidence was harmless. Thomas was granted a new trial but denied release, and uh, as, as far as that, he will remain at the high desert prison just outside of Las Vegas until he can get a second trial for the double homicide. And he says, quote, I'm just happy as can be. As I told everybody, I didn't do this. I didn't kill Bicky. I didn't kill Sharon. And I think I'm more than happy. I'm more happy not with the fact that I'm getting a new trial. I'm more happy that the system didn't let me down like it's let me down so many, let down so oh many other God. people. Uh, if anything, like it had let si- me down for going on 13 years, he says. So if poor anything, me. The- Oh my God, the system has held you up. The system has held you alive, <laughs> if anything. Like, you better be glad this fucking system is in place. Somebody would have already hung your ass in the street. It's like, just so weird to me how human beings can get to this point where they can lie to themselves and to everyone around them to this extent. I just, it, it's amazing. Sometimes you look at another human bro. being, you're like, how are we the same fucking species? Like, how it's do you look at yourself in the mirror and live with yourself? I don't understand. Yeah, it's, it's all about their perception. It's, it really is. Narcissism is a mental disorder, I think. I think it's yeah. going to be, you know, I don't know if it can be treated, though. You think narcissism doesn't can excuse, be treated? It obviously doesn't excuse these violent behaviors. <laughs> Hell no. Hell no. You know what? He, <laughs> you know what's funny? I, I told you, I said he kind of reminds me of Martha Stewart. Not in attitude, just the way he looks. But it's like, it's almost like if maybe he's got like the confidence of Trump, though. Kinda, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like the way the that he talks, he's got the same level of arrogance and like I know better as Trump. And Trump just... would definitely do the, a lot of these actions. He would definitely do a lot of the same stuff. Like with his defense attorneys, like no, no, you're doing yeah, it wrong. No, no, you're fired. You're fired. <laughs> this is how it needs to be said. Yeah, you're fired. <laughs> you're fired. <laughs> I'm gonna bring somebody real in here, like Tony Romo. Tony Romo, right. come on in. Here. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, he's crazy, bro. He's wow. crazy. But yeah, what Thomas Randolph. What a ride, what a ride. What a I, I wave ride. to him every time I drive by the prison. Do you? With my middle finger. Oh. <laughs> you, should, uh, you should throw him some Oh My Gaia, man. You know it probably stinks in there. It's probably hard to stay fresh. You know? Yeah, we'll get him a very feminine uh, uh, scent to match his hairstyle. That's right. We'll get him something real nice, like pear. some sweet pea. Oh, some sweet pea. That would be nice. That would yeah. be good. That'll really, that'll really get him in good with some of those other prisoners, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got just the stuff you need, Tom. It's Oh My Gaia. Oh My Gaia is an innovative, all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural, paraben, and aluminum-free organic ingredients. And like we alluded to, there's tons of scents to choose from, regardless of what kind of style or vibe you're going for. From vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside, bergamot, amber, barbershop, pear, sweet pea, sailor. We have our very own scent called True Crime Pine. If you don't know where to start, that's a great place. True Crime Pine. And because you guys are True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the word creeper, C-R-E-E-P-E-R, for 15% off your order at Shop underscore oh my Gaia on Instagram or on ohmygaia.com, which is O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. Guys, you won't regret it. 
get the aluminum out of your armpits, start wearing something fresh, something light, something smells good. And like I said, there's tons of scents to choose from. You can always uh, keep it fresh. You guys with beards, there's beard oil. There's scented oil. If you don't have beards, no big deal. Oh my guy, I can hook you guys up. Have you smelling good and feeling natural. That's right. right. Go support Wendy, man. She's got making amazing products, and uh, she's Absolutely. been with us since the very beginning. Our first, very first sponsor. Yep, since we were nobodies, even more That's nobodies right. than we are now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, take a minute to thank everybody who's gone and rated and reviewed the show on right iTunes on. this week. I want to say thank you to Pamela JBH from the U.S. says Ouija and tarot cards aren't satanic. Just listen to an old podcast. Nonetheless, gave us five stars. I guess we called those satanic. I don't recall, but uh, I, well, we realize that now. If if we didn't, then we definitely. Re- it's not that we said that they were satanic. Well, maybe we did, but they are associated with a lot of satanic things. Um, but yeah, satanism is not and is not what people think. Satanism in general is has a lot of misconceptions. So for sure, uh, yeah. Sorry about that. Didn't mean to offend, but uh, nothing negative about tarot cards or whatever. That's yep. all harmless stuff to me. Then we got Spooky Shelley in Great Britain said, a brilliant true crime podcast. I started listening during lockdown, and it's the best true crime podcast of them all. Very good. Um, <laughs> Jolly a good. great combination of banter, serious chat, and you guys really do your research. They always seem to answer questions. I'm thinking as I listen, it's great to be on the same wavelength. <laughs> Love it when they butcher pronunciation of our UK towns. <laughs> From the show, I found strange and unexplained too, which is a perfect mix of crime and spooky. Thanks, guys. When I don't have to pay nursery fees anymore, I'll hop on Patreon. That's right awesome. On. Thank you, Spooky Shelly. We would love to have you on Patreon, but until then, you're still an awesome creeper nonetheless. Hell yeah. I love I love how uh, the UK creepers, they have such good sense of humor about us mispronouncing stuff. And they we've gotten better over the years. When we do their cases and, and butcher everything, they love it. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, we used to say Yorkshire and Brookshire. Yorkshire. Now, we Yorkshire. Know. now we know it's Yorkshire, right? Yorkshire. Yorkshire. Brookshire. Yeah, we get it. We get it. We see, we learning. We learning. And lastly, but All not right. leastly, uh, we got Ashley Elrod in the U.S. said, you guys rock. It was awesome that I found you guys because I truly enjoy your takes on crimes. On top of that, you are pleasant, funny, and I enjoy the banter. I have a few friends who are listening now as well. I joined Patreon Hell for yeah. both podcasts, and you two provide so much content at the $5 level on both. Thank you for my stickers. Your wives sound like great ladies, and I enjoy when Crystal joins Michael on Sandu. Side note, the music is awesome, and you guys crack me up. You don't have to give me a shout-out. Just wanted people to see an updated <laughs> review. Keep creeping. Thank you, Ashley Elrod. Of course, you get a shout out for such of course you nice, get pleasant out. things. That was fantastic. Even shouted out Strange and Unexplained, our other show. If you haven't listened to that, Strange and Unexplained, guys, wherever you listen on any That's podcast. That's what we call app. a segue. That's what we call it right there, man. Every Monday, new episodes of Strange and Unexplained. And of course, there's a Patreon for that as well with extra shows, extra content. That's well worth your money at patreon.com slash podcast. But if you want more True Crime Guys podcast, Check out truecrimeguys.com slash, no wait, patreon.com slash truecrimeguys. <laughs> I'll get it right. Patreon.com slash truecrimeguys. And if you really want to get to know us a little better, every Fridays we do a show called Just the Banter that we release on Patreon on the $5 tier where listeners uh, get to ask questions, propose uh, scenarios to us, or whatever they want. You can make a comment and we will read it and make statements on it and talk about it on Just the Banter. So that's right. A lot more, lot more behind that Patreon wall, guys, um, than <laughs> than you could imagine. We're that's where we put most of our work. It's where we put most of our time. So Patreon.com/slash 
true crime guys. And I think it's uh, we we haven't brought this up in a while, but it's important to note that you can if you don't want a monthly bill hitting your you know your uh, bank account that you mm-hmm. you forget you had or whatever, you can right. pay up front to be a patron for twenty one bucks gets you the twenty the two dollar tier. You save like ten percent by paying up front for a year, and then you're done. Twenty one bucks, you're done for yeah. the year. And if and you want to be that- a five dollar tier, it's what uh it's like what is it? I forget what it what it ends up being like forty seven dollars or something something along those lines yeah, to be yeah, at the five dollar yeah. tier and in in that five dollar tier you get the gold creep van sticker you get just a banter every single week uh, shooting the shit answering questions it's usually at least an hour long plus you get all the premium episodes that we do once a month yep that there's now probably over a hundred of at this point I'm not sure but no there's doubt. a lot a lot of heavy hitters a lot of the big time serial killers we've done two three hour episodes on there on Patreon yes. um, so yeah uh, you can pay up front and be done with it for the year just so you know. Yeah. And like, uh, just to give you guys an example, you know, every, every month since we've started Patreon, which has been what, three years ago now, three or four years mm-hmm. ago, uh, we've put up content that is Patreon exclusive only on Patreon. Aside from seeing the few freeloader series that you guys see throughout the, uh, the, the free feed, aside from those, uh, all the other content on Patreon is Patreon exclusive. It's, we don't plan on releasing it we don't we don't want to release it so it's only on Patreon and it's not going anywhere there's tons of episodes all the way dating back 3 years and then there's also um a sideshow I did called Higher Thoughts uh which I did 35 episodes of on there there is uh just there's there's outtakes from back in the day when me and Lauren were first getting started and we recorded a lot in the studio and we we had a lot of cuts uh if you want to know we, more we don't do if that you anymore you want to know more about like you want to know more about Michael's journey about our podcast journey. Uh, the higher thoughts yeah. is almost like a. It's like a. It's, it's like it's, an analog journal. I mean, it's like an audio journal almost. Yeah. Yeah. Way. Like back when he, he was doing, he started higher thoughts when he lived in Vegas. He had moved here, uh, moved to Vegas from North Carolina. Yeah. He lived in Vegas for what two and a half years or so before moving uh, back to North Carolina. You go on this whole journey with him. He's recording yeah, those episodes. Three years, bro. Over three years, I lived in Vegas. Okay, yeah. So he's yeah. recording those episodes, the 35 episodes. You see this journey where he had gotten to Vegas, and then he's leaving Vegas again and heading back to North Carolina, and you learn yeah. a lot more about uh, Michael's family. And uh, I've been on a few of those episodes. He's had different guests on there. It's a fun journey to go on, and that's yeah. all, all also available at the $2 tier on Patreon. That's right. That's right. And if you are into Higher Thoughts and maybe you listened to it back then and missed the show, uh, we are bringing Higher Thoughts back on the Sandu Patreon. So patreon.com slash Podcast uh, For just three bucks a month, you can get on the uh, the lowest tier and you will get access to Higher Thoughts, which I release every other, th- every other Saturday, as well as Strange Shorts um, that I release every Monday. So quite a bit of content you can get on True Crime Guys uh, Patreons. So, oh yeah, the two dollar tier busy. on Patreon also gets you a, sh- a shout out too. Oh yeah, of course, of course, you're gonna get a shout out on the next Patreon exclusive after you sign up. Yep. So, all right, guys, go to Spotify, check out our True Crime Guys uh, killer mixtape. Type in True Crime Guys on Spotify and then hit artist if you can't find it. I've had a lot of people that say, "Well, when I search it, it just pulls up your podcast." Okay, so what you do is you search True Crime Guys, click artist, and then the True Crime Guys killer mixtape will be the first thing that pulls up. There so, you go, Bob's your you guys uncle. Can Enjoy uh, 11 tracks that we used as intro tracks uh, for various episodes since the beginning of the podcast. So, all right, that's it. I'm done rambling. I'm done. All right, good. Everything else you can catch in the description, guys, below. There's links. Check it out. All right. All right, y'all. Keep creeping. See you next week. Yep. Keep creeping, guys.
true crime guys In the desert we like a mirage It's okay if you clicked on us Cause you thought we was true crime garage Now we ain't mad at you Sit down let us talk at you I'm talking to the creeper army We out here making murder get murder get murder in the desert we like a mirage It's okay if you clicked on us Cause you thought we was true crime garage Now we ain't mad at you Sit down let us talk at you I'm talking to the creeper army We out here making murder charming